Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. You're joining us today for another in our series called Grace Stories, where we hear the stories of how God has worked in people's lives, usually how they were saved eternally and what God's grace has meant to them then, and maybe even now today. And uh, you know that grace is a word that is used quite a bit in our Christian culture, and even in regular culture. It can mean anything from someone who dances or acts beautifully or delicately to uh, something we say before dinner. There's a lot of different ways we use the word. But grace becomes most important when we talk about how it interacts with us in God's expression of love that saves us. And uh, today we're going to hear a story from someone who encountered God's grace. And uh, I met him in Florida not long ago and was intrigued by the little details of his story. And I think you'll really enjoy hearing from him. So this is Keith Stanton. He's presently working with Ethnos 360 as uh, a missionary role, support role. Well, welcome, Keith. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, we, we're glad you can be with us and appreciate your willingness to tell the story. I don't know exactly where to begin, but I met you in Florida, but where are you from? Uh, I'm from uh, Southern California. I uh, spent most of my formative years in Carlsbad, which is in the north part of San Diego County. Okay. And that's, isn't that where your wife, Jacqueline, is from also? Uh, similar, yeah. She's actually from Hemet, uh, which is kind of in between there and Palm Springs. Okay, so Southern California, and uh, now yep. you're in Florida. Well, uh, that's uh, uh, what was life like for you in right, growing up in Southern California? Uh, it was great, actually. Um, I always say my, my parents were. Uh, were and are incredible, um, you know, very just good, loving, moral people. Uh, my, my wife sometimes jokes about it uh, and says that, that I had, had the Brady Bunch family growing up. <laughs> How many siblings did you have? Uh, it, it wasn't based on the number of siblings, but the nature of the, the family nature. relationship. But I, I just had, uh, I have one sister who's about a year and a half older than I am. Okay. So Brady Bunch, you kind of think of the ideal type of family. Yeah. Right. So, so did you go to church with your family? We did. Yeah. Uh, went to church every week, as far as I can remember going back. Um, I think for me, uh, I, I remember learning the stories uh, and, you know, learning that alongside, you know, various other, you know, Curious George and other <laughs> fairy tales and mm. kind of putting them all in the same category of, you know, f- folklore that had some sort of moral to the story um, that your parents would teach you to try to help raise you to be a, a good moral person. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mom was a, a school teacher. Uh, a lot of emphasis on education on uh, the importance of education to get a good job to you know give yourself financial stability um, so that you could 
you know, raise your kids in a nice neighborhood and kind of r- rinse and repeat. That was, that was, I'm not saying that's what was uh, verbally communicated to right. me, but that was the idea that I kind of picked up on of what, what Christianity was. Okay. Well, basically it sounds like you had a stable family and a nice upbringing in general. Um, Very much you're, so. You're able to speak well of your parents and, and that's always a plus. How is how are you as a student in school? Uh, I did quite well, actually, uh, just because of the emphasis on education. Um, I, I was always kind of a rascal. Uh, so they were they actually uh, I was set to skip a grade. Um, but during the test, I think I, my pencil fell on the floor and I was crawling around on the ground. They said I was, I was too immature to skip to the next grade. So they kept me in the, the grade I was in. But I always mm-hmm. excelled uh, academically. Uh, even though I also enjoyed getting into a bit of mischief. Yeah. Well, teenage, teenager years, I'm assuming, would <laughs> probably include that for a lot of people. Um, were you involved in sports in school? Uh, I was, yeah. I uh, played most every sport that was available to me, uh, soccer, baseball, football, basketball, uh, and later on got into surfing, actually. Really? Yeah, you're from Southern California. You need to do that. So, what were what were your greatest yeah, influences? It's, it's interesting. Uh, oh, it's interesting. We actually, uh, I had a, a surf team at my high school, so it was actually a high school sport to be on the surf team. Okay, high school sport. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what were your influences uh, in those years? Uh, it was uh, your high school friends a good group? being on a surf team and things like that was that good for you probably uh hindsight probably the worst thing that happened to me Ooh. um so the you know i'm playing tennis and you know some of the other sports i was playing i was around a certain crowd uh that weren't getting into as much trouble once i started surfing kind of a different friend group that i got involved with uh, that's where i started experimenting with uh smoking pot and drinking and, and things like that. So I was about 12, 13 when I started dabbling in it. Uh, mm. By the time I was four, 14 and then all the way, you know, through high school and into my college years, it was, it was a daily thing for me. Drugs were a daily thing. Yeah. Drinking also went along with that. Uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how bad was, uh, the drugs, I mean, you couldn't function without them or would you call yourself an addict at that time? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, uh, it's interesting because I think for many people uh, that get into drugs and alcohol, it's, um, you know, for a matter of trying to mask or hide something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably an element of that, um, maybe insecurity for me. Uh, but for the most part, it actually just had to do with ha- what I thought was having fun, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just getting inebriated and then doing stupid things with my friends. And I guess I've always been a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. So it, those those things kind of went hand in hand for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, sometimes when you mix the wrong people and drugs, uh, you get into trouble bad situations and 
I believe you got into some trouble. What happened? Yeah, um, multiple times. Um, actually went to jail several times between, uh, well, even as a juvenile and then uh, as an adult. Um, I believe it was seven times total that I got arrested. Mm. Um, but the, the final time was 21 years old. Um, the got arrested for, uh, it was dr- uh, drunk driving and uh, reckless driving uh, and some other charges associated with that um, and ended up going to jail and was actually uh, looking at a five-year prison sentence and spent several months in jail uh, before I finally got my sentence in there. Before you finally got you. Uh, before I was finally sentenced. Oh, you said several months uh, before you were sentenced. Yeah. You weren't out on bail then? No, they, uh, they, I think they wouldn't even, uh, give me a bail because <laughs> I, I, uh, I had had a warrant for almost two years before they finally caught me. Hmm. Um, it mostly drug related charges. Uh, hmm. but yeah, once, once, once they got a hold of me, I, I think they didn't want to let me go. Boy. So just sitting there wondering what you're going to be sentenced to must've been quite, uh, an emotionally down experience. Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, it's, it, it, uh, I believe it's Psalm 14, one that says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God mm-hmm. and his deeds were abominable. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect description of, of who I was. Um, I had rejected the concept of a God. Hmm. Uh, and uh, because of that, I, I had also made the connection to between, you know, a God and morality. And so I said, if there is no God, there is no absolute morality mm-hmm. and was functioning under a more rationalistic and hedonistic uh, worldview where the only point of life is, is pleasure. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't, I honestly wasn't concerned about death. I assumed I would die Mm. at any moment based on the lifestyle I was living. Uh, But I just didn't care because I, I didn't believe there was an afterlife. And I thought that what I was doing was, the best way I knew how to have fun. Um, mm. I thought when I looked at other people and the, the, their morality that they were attempting to live by, mm-hmm. I thought that was constraining because I knew that they wanted to do the things that they were choosing to not do. And it didn't make sense to me. I'm like, why are you stopping? What's stopping you? Mm-hmm. Why not just do the things that you want to do? And so that was the the mindset that I approached life with. Um, and so, you know, up until that point, uh, I, I, I thought my conscience was something that I just needed to overcome uh, that was instilled into me because of the way I was raised. Mm-hmm. And then if I could just simply overcome my conscience that I would have more joy and pleasure in life. Yeah. Not not get rid of that pesky feeling of guilt. Right? Not quite as simple <laughs> as that though, is it? The Bible says that God has written his law on our hearts 
And uh, we know very well the difference between right and wrong, even without a Bible to guide us or parents. There's something inside of our hearts that you can tell us. But you didn't have that feeling. You, and it's not surprises me a little bit that you weren't really concerned about dying because uh, even that you thought about it, because many people in their teenage years don't even think about dying, much less what happens afterwards. Yeah, I, I actually have several of my friends who have uh, passed away uh, either before that time or since that time, just based on the lifestyle that, that we were living and pursuing. Mm, that's sad. Um, so it is, yeah. It's, yeah. You're sitting oh, I've, in... I've, Go ahead. I was going to say, it's, it's interesting looking back on that period of my life, because w- when I do, um, it's almost more like a movie. It doesn't seem like me and my own experiences. It doesn't seem like memories that I'm looking back on. It's it's so divorced from who I am now mm-hmm. that I I can recollect it and you know think back and mm-hmm. consider what what took place. But I was such a different person then from who who I am now. It's it's hard to even connect that to my own life. I think there's a lot of us that understand what you're talking about uh, when God changes you. It just seems like a different yard, new creation, and um, it's a new life. So while you're waiting to be sentenced, there must have been all kinds of things going through your head. And then what is it that happened on uh, the day that you faced the court? Yeah, so uh, in terms of, I I brought up the idea related to uh, kind of dulling our conscience. Uh, Because I believe that drugs and alcohol definitely assist in that process. Um, So once I was in jail, it was forced sobriety. Um, And I think that was a big part of, um, you know, God having the opportunity to start cutting through the fog and, and all the excuses that I had made up about why he wasn't real and why I didn't stand accountable to him. Um, and so it was, you know, a few weeks after being in jail that he really started just tearing down all the excuses that I had and convincing me that he was real. Uh, at the time, I didn't have anyone preaching to me. I didn't have a, a Bible. Um, but, you know, growing up Christian and even going to college, uh, I used to debate the Christians that would come on campus to do evangelism and outreach. Uh, Cause I thought I was trying to free them from their delusion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I knew, I knew what the Bible taught. I knew what, you know, who God was according to the Bible, who Jesus was according to the Bible. I just, you know, thought it was made up that people, created this system that you know assisted them to get through life because of their own weakness and their own you know feebleness of mind is kind of how I would have seen it mm-hmm. but once God was able to break through all of that for me and convince me that he was real I very quickly put put it together that if God is real he's a, a moral being uh, and he holds me accountable to his moral standard. I knew that I did not meet his moral standard. Um, Therefore, I deserved whatever judgment that he would provide for me. And I understood that judgment to be hell. Um, And 
once those pieces came together and I came to a place where I personally realized that I was condemned to hell, uh, that's when Jesus finally, finally made sense to me personally. Mm -hmm. And in the timeline of your incarceration, how long into it did this happen or did this realization come? Uh, it was, I'm not sure the exact timing. I would guess about three weeks, three or four weeks into my time. Okay. So before you were sentenced is what you're saying? Correct. Yeah. So as soon as I, I got saved, um, so once I put all those pieces together, I actually got down on my knees in the jail cell um, and just said, you know, God, forgive me. I realize I've you know offended you and rebelled against you and, um, you know, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. And I understood the, what he had done for me at that moment. And I, I, I do explain, uh, I think sometimes the way I explain it is that, um, I had experienced pleasure up until that point, but I'd never experienced joy before. Mm. And so at that moment, what I had experienced, uh, was profoundly different than any temporal pleasure that I had experienced up until that point. Mm -hmm. um, and so because of that, uh, I had, I had sprinted so hard in the other direction and, you know, the law of diminishing return, you know, it, you continue to do the same thing, but without mm -hmm. getting the same benefit. So you have to yeah. do it more or harder or deeper. Mm -hmm. uh, but then uh, in this relationship with God, the joy that I was experiencing that was just stable and consistent. Um, I began to be evangelical before I even knew what that was or what it meant. <laughs> I was just explaining to the people around me, hey, God is real. Jesus is real. Uh, and what he has to offer is better than anything else that, that you can find in this world. And still, you didn't have any mentor or preacher or teacher, certainly in jail. Don't they have a chapel service or something? They do. Yeah. I um, First thing I did is I actually just got a hold of a Bible and started reading. Um, mm -hmm. And you don't, the jail I was in didn't have any uh, work associated with it. So I basically sat in my jail cell all day and read the Bible for mm -hmm. a couple of months. Um, but it was a long process of God unraveling my wrong thinking and understanding of who he was. And I did actually start attending uh, some sort of chapel while I was in there as well. So began to get a taste for uh, you know, fellowship and, and, you know, and engaging and interacting with other believers. Mm -hmm. So what was the total length of time you were incarcerated? Uh, so uh, about three months in, I finally went to my sentencing um, and, uh, it, yeah, it was an interesting story because the, the judge was looking at my paperwork, um, looking up at me, he had a, a pretty thick file folder sitting <laughs> on his desk. Uh, and, good. you know, he asked me, do you, uh, do you have anything to say before I sentence you? And I had actually rejected all of the plea bargains, the, the offers that they gave me. Uh, they tried to offer me uh, a two-year reduced sentence if I pled guilty and all that. And I just said, I'm, I'm just going to tell them exactly what happened, throw myself at the mercy of the court, and whatever happens, happens. So 
So I was just leaving it in God's hands. And so that uh, the judge, you know, said, do you have any last words before I sentence you? And so I actually just shared my testimony briefly with the judge in the courtroom. Um, and it was dead silent. I, I don't know how long it was. It felt like several minutes. <laughs> um, hmm. I'm sure it was just several seconds, but the judge finally looked looked up at me and said, you know what? I, I don't know why, but I feel like I need to give you one more chance. And so he actually released me uh, into a drug rehab program that, that same day. Hmm. Well, that's God's grace right there that he used the judge show some leniency definitely yeah so you told your story about reading the bible and coming to a knowledge of salvation to the judge yep yeah, yeah. and uh, uh skip it skipping ahead or maybe i'll save that part for the the later part of the story but i i did have an encounter with that same judge a few years later in my life oh way to Way to bait the hook for us. We'll have to hear about that. So, you know, when when you end up in jail like that, it must be hard on your parents. Well, how how were your parents during this time? It was devastating. Honestly, that that was something I'm sure God used. Uh, I do I do have vivid memories of sitting, you know, in your jail garb uh, behind the the plexiglass wall, chained to the other prisoners. Uh, you know you know, getting uh, escorted in and out of the courtroom for different arraignment hearings before the actual, you know, judgment. Um, and my parents sitting out in the audience and I could just see the, the heartache on their faces. And I, I knew it was a result of the choices that, that I had made, the mm -hmm. lifestyle that I was living. Sin doesn't just hurt us. It doesn't just hurt God. It hurts the people around us too. So so you judge gives you another chance. What do you do with that? What do you, where do you go from there? Yeah, it was interesting. They released me into this drug rehab program. Um, and it was a 12-step program. Uh, and I was actually living with my parents. I uh, had to use public transportation, but was getting around to these. Uh, I was working part-time. Uh, going to school part-time and doing these uh, drug rehab classes several hours a week. And they were going through this 12-step program. And I understood some of the principles and still believe there's value in many of them. Uh, but I knew that it was only by having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that I had found freedom from you know, the lifestyle that I was living up until that point. And so I was again, very evangelistic with the group of students that I was with in that class. And a couple of them actually did come to know the Lord. And mm -hmm. even the the teacher, the, the leader of the group uh, was previously Mormon. Mm -hmm. And I met, I actually met him about a year later. And the first thing he said when I saw him was, you were right. Like, what, what do you mean you were right? He's like, everything that you said about Jesus, you were right. And he's like, I, I, I'm saved now. I have a personal relationship with God. Wow. That's great. So after the rehab, what did you do? Uh, so uh, 
early on, actually, um, just a few weeks after I had been released and was going through this program, uh, is when I met my wife and <laughs> there's, mm. there's an act of grace <laughs> right there that, Always. that she was willing, willing to, uh, engage in a relationship with me. Mm. Um, but yeah, she, she was great. Is great. Um, she was raised Catholic, um, but did get saved at a Christian camp that she went to where she heard mm-hmm. a clear gospel presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, uh, we were both excited about growing in our faith together. So we would do Bible studies together. Um, we got involved in church together, st- uh, started doing youth ministry together. Um, and so it was a, that was a very formative time for both of us in, in terms of our faith. We actually had two different churches that we were involved with at the time. Um, one was a small Presbyterian church, mm-hmm. um, and the other was a uh, Calvary Chapel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we got to, uh, flavors of different, you know, different uh, forms or flavors of Christianity that we got exposed to. Yeah. And uh, today you work for a missions organization. What, what happened to get your attention about world missions? So we had actually invited a, a guest speaker to come to one of our outreach events uh, who someone made the connection for us and told us about this guy who was a missionary to Papua New Guinea. He had taken his wife and his kids and gone to the jungles of Papua New Guinea with a, a tribal group there that were formally uh, practicing cannibalism. Uh, very remote, very, uh, I know the, the term's not correct, but Stone Age, if you will, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. undeveloped. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, he, he had gone through the entire process of learning their culture and language, developing an alphabet for them, uh, through that, translating the scriptures into their language, uh, eventually teaching them the Bible, um, you know, once they had believers, they established a church and that church was now, you know, self-sustaining, functioning on its own. And he was back here in the United States mm-hmm. telling others, Hey, there, there's more people groups like this that still haven't heard the gospel yet. Mm-hmm. So once we heard about that, that really shook us up, both my wife and I, um, when I went to work the next day. I honestly couldn't think straight. I I couldn't focus on what I was doing. All I could think about is why am I here trying to convince people to believe the gospel that they've already heard and have access to? There's 500 different translations of the Bible in English that Mm. they have available to them. A church on nearly every street corner, Mm -hmm. and there's thousands of people groups that don't have a single word of the Bible translated and have zero access to the gospel. Hmm. So that reality just, just struck um, my heart and mind. And thankfully my wife as well, to the point where we decided that that's what we're going to give our lives to. Well, you, you use the term you were, it really shook you up, which I think a lot of us, we hear these kinds of statistics and facts about unreached people, but 
not many of us get shaken up. So praise the Lord for that. So did you make a commitment to him uh, or did you get in touch with the mission organization from that point? Yeah, it's kind of funny. We, we told this, uh, this guy who was now functioning as, as a missionary rep. Um, so he was doing recruitment essentially. Okay. Um, and we, we told him, Hey, we want to, we want to do this, you know, church planning thing. Um, and then he said, okay, well, the first step is to begin your training. Uh, and we have a four year training program that is two years in Michigan and two years, uh, in Missouri. And Growing up on the coast my entire life, uh, I'd never lived more than a mile from the beach. <laughs> and surfing was still a regular part of my life. That was a Not ice bit fishing. of a shock to me. <laughs> so I, I was like, uh, are you sure that the training's necessary? You know, I've, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. I've been you know, leading Bible studies for a couple of years now. Um, you know, I'm running an, uh, you know, an outreach program. I, I, I think I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, sorry. It, it's a required step you have to take. Um, I would, I, hindsight, I wish he would have explained that a little better, but maybe he told me what I needed to hear. Um, but we, we went to the training because it was a you know, quote unquote required step for us to get to to doing church planting with unreached people groups. Mm -hmm. um, within a couple of days, I realized I knew absolutely nothing about the scriptures <laughs> and I des desperately needed the, the education that I received. You didn't know what you didn't know. Exactly. I remember my first experience with Bible college was the same way. I, I was pretty well self-studied and I went to that first class and I said, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> How can somebody know this much about the Bible? Uh, it's yep, an eye-opening exactly. experience. So you just you just absorbed it and soaked it all in in their two year program. I did, yeah. One honestly, one of the things that really stuck out to me uh, and was one of the the biggest transformations for me was my understanding of grace. Hmm. Um, my my mentor uh, towards the end of the first year, uh, we had a, assigned mentors and we would have regular meeting times and. And one of my summary evaluations sat down with me and said, you have an incredible understanding of grace for unbelievers, but you have zero understanding of grace for believers. And then why did he say that? Uh, because I was very gracious towards unbelievers in accepting whatever, uh, you know, I, I was comfortable engaging with them no matter what their lifestyle was okay. because of, of what I had come out of mm -hmm. um, and was willing to you know present truth to them. But I think part of it is because of my own experience and having a radical transformation. Uh, I had concluded that if others didn't have that same radical transformation, that they probably weren't saved. So in my, in my mind, most of the people that I was engaging with at church, and even some of those at, at my Bible college, uh, I assumed that they probably weren't saved because of 
their behavior. Mm -hmm. And it, it took close to at least a year uh, for God to really unravel that, that thinking. Um, some of it probably came out of, you know, from the churches that I had been involved mm -hmm. with. Um, now, now I, I, you know, can put a label on it of Lordship salvation. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the Presbyterian church was covenant reformed and they had a version of Lordship associated with it. The Calvary chapel is more Armenian na in nature, but they have a version of Lordship uh, in their theology as well that I had kind of merged together into, you know, if you're not, you know, fully chasing after God and that's fully evident in your life, then you're probably not a believer. Mm -hmm. But going through the Bible the way that we did in our training, uh, they, they start with bibliology. What is the Bible? Where, you know, where did it come from? Is it reliable? All that kind of stuff. Hermeneutics was the, the very next class that you take. How do you interpret this book consistently to figure out what is it actually saying? Not reading your own thoughts and ideas into it, but getting out of it what God intended for you to get out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, just starting in Genesis and working through the, the entire Bible chronologically. Mm -hmm. So by approaching the scriptures in that way, it really unraveled a lot of my wrong thinking. I started seeing the dispensations more clearly. I, you know, I could see that the call to discipleship was distinct from the call to belief in the, the resurrected Christ. Uh, so it was that, that transition going through the Bible in that way that God unraveled my thinking. Um, I felt embarrassed about the way that I taught the book of James a year earlier once yeah. I went through the book yeah. of James. We've all done it. <laughs> understood it from a grace perspective. So, yeah. So you, you finished Bible college and uh, you continued on with your training in Missouri. Did you for two yep. years? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it was during that time, actually, that my wife started experiencing some health issues. Um, at the time, we didn't know exactly what it was or the nature of it um, so we pursued some different health avenues treatments um, and thought we were seeing some progress so we continued to move forward towards our goal of church planting uh, in Papua New Guinea that was our plan hmm. um, so we completed our training we moved back to San Diego we're doing our partnership development there and her her health continued to decline uh, and so we were just really wrestling with God, you know, what, what do we do with this? We're, we're willing to give our lives and mm. you know, we'll even go with this health issue. Um, but, you know, is it, is it wiser to trust God and, and go knowing that, you know, with a compromised immune system, she, you know, there's a good chance that she may not make it. Um, New Guinea is what I, from what I've heard, one of the least developed countries in the world. So it's not like you have good medical care and resources. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, even people with the strong, healthy immune system, many of them in, encounter health issues once they get there. Mm -hmm. So God kind of redirected you from a direction towards the mission field into what you're doing today or 
Was there a pathway to what you're doing today? Yeah. Um, you know, thankfully we, we stayed in touch with one of our mentors at the Bible Institute in Michigan. And uh, we were seeking counsel from him, explaining our situation, kind of what we were wrestling with. And he invited us uh, to come on staff at the training center. Uh, at first, it was temporary you know, for a year or two to see if we could sort through the health stuff and you know, if we could get to a place where we could continue to move overseas, overseas that we would do that. Um, but one year turned into two years, turned into four years, <laughs> turned into right. eight years. So we ended up spending several years there, but it was – it was again exactly what we needed. Um, I I believe that you know it was through that experience that I really came to understand grace in terms of discipleship and what a proper understanding of uh, you know keeping justification and sanctification distinct mm. as uh, you know a birth truths and growth truths, mm -hmm. uh, and then you know helping believers come to grips with those growth truths and, and to grow in those truths and walk in those truths uh, and helping to prepare them for a life of ministry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, God used that to help, help me grow. Um, and by God's grace, I believe I've been able to help pass some of those things along to many students that have come through our training over the years. And you're still with Ethnos 360 and there. Uh, what exactly are you you doing with them right now? Yeah, so we're still uh, playing a role in helping uh, train the students as they move through our training program. Uh, our training program is essentially uh, segmented into two, two main segments. The first two years is our Bible Institute, um, which is now in uh, Wisconsin, and two years down in Missouri. Uh, so we have our Bible Institute for two years, and then the last two years is what we call our Missionary Training Center, where you learn uh, linguistics, translation principles, cross-cultural communication, cultural anthropology, things like that, okay. uh, more, more specifically tailored towards missions. Mm -hmm. And so what, what we've done uh, is actually created a program to work with our students who have completed the first phase of training and are in transition to the second phase of training. Okay. Uh, because historically, we would actually uh, lose quite a few of our students in that transition as they went back to their home church, trying to raise funds and get the church support that they needed to continue on. Uh, kind of turned into a bit of a black hole for many. So we created this program to stay engaged with them during that time. Mm -hmm. Great. That's great. So... I'm still on the hook about uh, this judge story. You said you met him again. How did that? Yeah, I, I, we skipped over that part. Um, so it was actually at the time that we got challenged uh, into missions uh, that we had a minor hurdle to get over, which was I was still on probation and wasn't allowed to leave the county of San Diego. Uh, without permission from a judge. And even then it was for, I think, maybe a week at a time. Um, so I had to uh, actually get 
I was seeking to get early termination uh, from my probation. Hmm. Uh, so I had to go in front of a judge and explain the situation to him. Uh, I had my pastor come with me to the hearing uh, and had prepared a statement ahead of time, but it, it turns out it was the same judge who had originally sentenced me and released me into the rehab program. Uh, and so before, you know, issuing the, the, the release statement, which was, I had sat through a few of these already. And for the others, it was very, uh, just, uh, can't think of the right word, but just Perfunc signing off the paperwork and yeah. yeah, yes or no Routine. You know, kind of thing. Exactly. Yep. And then when he got to me, he, uh, he said, uh, you know, here's, you know, here's the situation. Um, before I make a determination, would you mind sharing with the courtroom uh, what's taken place in your life over the last couple of years hmm. uh, and how you've gotten to the place where you are today? Wow. And so I, I, I still don't know if he was a believer. I, I'm kind of assuming he probably was, but he really set the stage for me and, mm -hmm. and let me uh, share my testimony and share the gospel with, with the court from there. Wow. And because of that, what was his final judgment? Uh, yeah. And then he did release me and allow me out of the probation. So I was able to, you know, my wife and I were able to move across this, the country to Michigan and, you know, start our training with, with Ethnos 360. Yeah. It's hard to be a missionary in another country if they won't let you out of the state. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So God orchestrated that. And gave you an yeah. opportunity to share the gospel along the way. That's great. Um, well, Keith, is there anything else you want to add to your story at this point? Because we brought you up to the present day. Yeah. Uh, no, I just uh, appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, I appreciate your ministry in particular um, with Grace Life, with an em emphasis on uh, clarity of the gospel. Um, that's one thing, you know, as an organization, we spend a lot of time focusing on as well, uh, because overseas the, the gospel tends to get muddier, um, when you go into a different language that you're not familiar with, or even a different culture and mm -hmm. worldview that you're not familiar with. Um, so yeah, we're, we're thankful for, you and others that are like-minded that are fighting the good fight and trying to keep, keep the gospel clear so that we can, you know, pass that along to others, uh, not add add to or take away from the gospel, but uh, just, ex you know, explain exactly who Jesus is and what he did for us so that we can make a decision if we're going to choose to accept and believe that or not. And so, what is your message to somebody who's listening who doesn't have an assurance of any eternal salvation? They're wondering about their future. Maybe they're a little bit scared, a little bit nervous. They don't sleep well at night. They don't have peace and they don't, they've been looking for pleasure, but they haven't found the joy that you talked about. What would you say to them just as we close? Yeah. Um, I would say that they're, you know, that, I'm sure on some level you recognize and believe that there is a God, um, that that God created everything, including you, and desires to have a personal relationship with you. 
Um, but you know, each of us have all sinned. We've all rebelled against a holy and righteous God. Um, and that sin has caused a separation between us and him. And that, you know, God and his desire to have a personal relationship with you, you know, he, he decided to do something about it because he knew that there was nothing that we could do to fix that problem. Mm -hmm. So he sent his son who was holy, who was perfect, who was righteous um, to, to take our punishment, which was death upon himself at the cross so that we wouldn't have to take that death, that separation that we deserved and be eternally separated from the father. So, you know, all that God is asking you to do in response to that is to believe is to, to recognize that you've sinned. You deserve that separation from God, just like I have. And we all have. Um, but that, what God did for you, um, he, he did it all. There, there's nothing left to do, only to believe and accept that what he did was sufficient. And that he promises that when you do believe that you've passed from life to death, that it, it's, it's a one-time decision, a one-time choice. And at that moment of belief, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit and you've in, entered into a relationship with God, you're declared legally righteous, never to be, you know, there is no sin, no, you know, we're, un, we're not under condemnation. There's no way for anyone to bring a charge against us that could stick because it's already been paid by Christ. Amen. So knowing that we can rest and put our head on the pillow at night uh, and just, know that no matter what happens we are going to spend eternity with him well that's that's great so there's the objective facts and realities the positional truths of how we have a right standing with god that we're forgiven but then there's the subjective peace that you just mentioned and mm -hmm. going back to your experience of joy there's the joy unspeakable um jesus maybe referred to that when he talked about living water that bubbled up within us uh, maybe maybe he was referring I he was referring to the Holy Spirit, but that's who brings us joy is that life. Well, right. Keith, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I think that there are people listening who might want to do a little thinking about their eternity and at least appreciate God's grace in your life. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. We're gonna look forward to seeing what God does with you next. Me as well. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you, Keith. Well, yeah. listen, uh, thank you for joining us for another great story. I hope you enjoyed Keith's story and uh, we'll see what he does with Keith and Jacqueline next. But um, if you like the podcast, please share it with others because someone out there needs to hear his story and can relate to it and subscribe to the podcast. Give us a like or two or five would be better and more people will hear it. And you can go to gracelife.org uh, to get in touch with me and a lot of other resources and uh, would it be Keith at New Tribes NT or no, it'd be ethnos360.org.com. So we still have the old uh, email account. So it is ntm.org for New Tribes Mission. So Keith underscore Stanton at ntm.org. And feel free to contact me.
Okay. There's the invite. If you have any questions for Keith, Keith underscore Stanton at ntm.org. Keith, God bless you. God keep working in you. Thank you for telling your story. And we'll see everybody on the next story until all here. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.